Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Pollard here. And joining me, look, the Vikings had an outside-the-box hire, so we're going to have an outside-the-box guest on the show. Uh, someone who's been coming on shows of mine for many years because he is my favorite baseball writer in the world, Eno Saris, who has brilliantly, as I introduce you here, it's weird talking about you, Eno, but um, you have brilliantly melded covering baseball players inside locker rooms back when we were allowed with covering the analytics movement. And I feel like you are the perfect person to talk about how baseball has progressed from Moneyball to being where it is now as football, I think, is starting to have its Moneyball movement. So thank you for taking your uh, time to come on the show. Well, I mean, you're busy with the lockout and all. No, yeah, there's so much going on right now. <laughs> and, and I have to, uh, just a preemptive apology uh, for football. I am just a casual fan. I am a casual, as they say, as the kids say. So uh, uh, I watch uh, the 49ers when they are good. And the kind of fun thing about being casual, especially in juxtaposition to my like my baseball baseball fandom or whatever it is, like you know, I am all in on baseball, like all the way down to the minutia of the stitches on the ball. You know, uh, with football, when the 49ers are bad, I don't have to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and this is this is how I've become uh, with Minnesota sports, where it's just like I'll just sort of be the moth to the flame of like, oh, the Wolves <laughs> are fun; they've got a good player. Let me watch that on my TV um, because, like you said, everything down to whether the laces need to be out on a field goal is is what we cover here. But that's what I appreciate so much about your work, and you've seen this entire thing in baseball develop from. The, the, the money ball sort of movement as people start to become aware of data-based decision-making to now where you could fill Target Center with the analytics people from the Boston Red Sox or something, right? So I, I want you to kind of tell me about like the turning points in baseball when it came to analytics because it, it has developed sort of slowly from us arguing about whether Alfonso Soriano's OBP was important or not to the point where it feels like all fans, all teams are on the same page of understanding like this is how things ha need to be done the smartest way. Yeah. So I guess, you know, Moneyball is, is an anchor, um, but uh, it's, it was a, it was a small uh, aha moment, I think in baseball, which was, these stats are better than those stats. <laughs> you know, like, like it really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, we tr we've tracked on base percentage, we've tracked slugging percentage, we've tracked batting average, and to some extent, uh, Billy Bean made a lot of bones early on just by saying, "Hey, nobody's really caring about on base percentage, and it's a little bit better than batting average." And he he built a team out of that, you know. Uh, of course, he had a lot of good pitchers. It wasn't just that. And and so it's a little bit reductivist to like just say, oh, he figured out OBP was good. But that was like kind of the early stages was um, I think, you know, I think football is be beyond that. I think there are front offices and even fans who are uh, able to kind of look at some of the more advanced football stats. You know, even as a casual, I, you know, there are 
quarterback ratings and um you know uh dvoa i don't even know what that is but it's something about uh you know trying to take context out right like so they're trying to like look at players sort of out of their context and pull them out of the team context and, and evaluate players so i think that part is gone in football if I, i'm guessing from the outside the then there was like a sort of a secondary evolution of like oh, um, are there strategies on the field that we should do differently based on this analysis that we've done? And so there was a movement against, uh, I would say, the intentional walk um, and bunting uh, as being usually uh, shooting yourself in, in the foot. And I actually think that's sort of where football is now because we're looking at hey, maybe you should go for it more often on fourth down in the middle of the field. That's to me like, hey, maybe you shouldn't bunt the guy over as much. You know, maybe you shouldn't intentionally walk this guy. Um, so I feel like that's where you're at. And so uh, baseball uh, now has launched into uh, kind of, a, I, would, I don't know, a third wave, a new wave where um, it's organizational strategies and uh, player development strategies that are built on data and technology. And I don't know uh, enough about football to say uh, that all the teams are doing this, but um, it would be on the, uh, you know, the football version of it would be trading for a wide receiver that could do one thing. And everyone said he's limited in this way, but giving him drills and and finding a way to develop this other part of his game like like making him faster but i don't think that's possible but like you know taking a slot guy and saying well you know what we actually think he's fast enough to to go deep or whatever you know what i mean like just finding ways to take undervalued players and drill them up and develop them and and uh, put them into different situations and make them better there might be some teams doing that right now uh in in football but that's something that baseball is doing right now is like we have all these minor leaguers how do we better develop them? How do we acquire undervalued players and develop them? There's a very real focus on player development. And that's the kind of wave we're in right now in baseball. There are shades of all of this in football. It's just not so everybody, right? That you mm -hmm. have teams that have started to do these things and who have really taken advantage of draft pick value and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like um, it is really funny because Jimmy Johnson created this chart many, many years ago where he gave all the draft picks points and they still use it to make draft <laughs> trades. This was like in the nineties. Like, are you guys serious? But everybody sort of agrees on this thing. Um, but if you can be the team that figures out which draft picks are more valuable or how to move on from certain players that you can replace with draft picks, mm -hmm. you're getting an edge there. I also think that your scheme specific type players or players that can do multiple things like a running back slash wide receiver, like Debo Samuel mm -hmm. in San Francisco, that, you know, the Vikings really missed an opportunity to do that with another player that they had who went elsewhere and in a more progressive organization did that and mm -hmm. won a Super Bowl with New England uh, with this multifaceted role where, you know, they said, well, he can't run routes well enough. And the other team said, let's just give him the football somehow and he'll run with it. It's amazing. Right. It's amazing how simple a lot of give it to is. him in the flat and see what he can do. <laughs> right. I, I love some of your writing when I'm reading it sometimes and I'm like barreling up the baseball, eh? That sounds about right. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that that's right. I think that sounds yeah, right. Yeah, so, like what you might have a player in baseball that like everyone says he doesn't he strikes out too much. He's no good. 
Uh, and another team says, no, but he barrels the ball. When he does make contact, it's really powerful. And maybe if we can coach up his plate pitch recognition or this or that, but in any case, he's undervalued because at least the power, the contact he makes is powerful. That's right. uh, that's on that, on that level. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's surprising to me uh, how similar the teams play, I feel like. I, I, I think that football is rife for more innovation. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's an interesting one, too, because just like how people had to sort of see Billy Bean and some of his approach work and get them to the playoffs on a team that wasn't spending any money, there's kind of the same thing in football where it's like, Chip Kelly was a 49ers coach. You'd be mm -hmm. familiar with him. He came into Philadelphia and everyone said college football strategy, never. And then it worked right away. And so then the whole league copied it and then the whole league figured it out and he couldn't use his own strategies anymore, but all the other coaches who had been in the NFL were building on them. And so this is kind of a constant push and pull of like developments and then defenses. This would be kind of as if, you know, you had, say hitters were crushing sliders and then pitchers stopped throwing sliders. Because right. So this constant sort of back and forth and push and pull, which has always made the game great. I mean, going back from, you know, the, the very beginnings of strategies and defenses to stop them and things like that. But I think that where the specifics come in and you can tell me how this worked in baseball is being able to qu quantitatively look at what, what strategies actually work. So mm -hmm. here's a good example. NFL teams have suddenly gotten better at when to run the football and you could see it in their expected points added like five years ago, teams were like you said, shooting themselves in the foot with running the football way too much. They still run the Establish ball. A lot. The run. All right, exactly. They still <laughs> run the ball a lot, but they do it at the right times. They do it on first and 10. They do it on third and short. They only do it at the right times. And now they're actually gaining points because of it, as opposed to bleeding points because of it. I wonder if there was kind of a turning point that's similar to that in baseball. Yeah. That sounds a little bit like the, uh, the no longer necessarily bunt uh, somebody over to, to score a run, especially I think, you know, people used to bunt guys over uh, to second base in order to, you know, get them closer to scoring and get them into scoring position. They used to do that more, more often um, in the early innings. So that sounds a little bit like the sort of count, like the, you know, early innings, you know, first and 10, you know, they, and, and when you do that in the early innings, you actually lower your win expectancy, you lower your run scoring expectancy and you're, you're hurting yourself. The only real good time to bunt, the only real good time to run, you know, the only good time to bunt uh, is really when uh, one run is the entire difference and you're playing just to score one run. Um, and it's not about uh, scoring as many runs anymore. And that really is just like kind of extra innings and the ninth inning. And so bunts have kind of really gone by the wayside. One thing that's uh, really interesting in, in baseball right now is roster management. And because of the rules of what it's like to have a roster, you got the, you know, got your 26 active, right? You got a 40 man roster. Um, and, the best teams like the Giants, one of the things that they do is um, have a really good 27 through 40, right? Which is strange because you're like, well, those guys don't play that much. Why do they matter? Well, if you bring up a guy, if you everyone's going everyone's to get hurt, like, you know, everyone's going to lose someone. Right. But if you can bring up a guy that's better than the sort of replacement level, that's a, a baseball idea. But I think it probably fits in, in in football too where it's like calling a guy up off the practice squad right um and uh if you if your practice squad is no good 
and you don't really spend many resources on it. You don't care about it. And you say, well, we're screwed if we're playing practice squad guys anyway. So who cares about the practice squad, right? There are probably some teams who are like, no, we are going to have the best MF in practice squad in, in football, you know, so that if we lose a guy, hey, we can still win that game. And if and what if we lose a guy in the playoffs, then we'd much rather have a really good player, like like the best practice squad player that we could to bring up in there. So there are teams that probably have an assistant GM, you know, in football. There are probably some teams who say, I don't care about the practice squad. Just put some guys on it, whatever. And then there are probably some teams that have an assistant GM whose job it is, his only job is to make sure they have the best practice squad guys. They, they pick them up. They give them what, I don't know what the contract details are like in football, but they give them whatever practice squad that they, they spend more on the practice squad. They, you know, and then they, they have more data and tech out there and they're, they're, they're trying to develop these guys off the practice squad to actually become starters. And they think of it as like minor leagues, as opposed to like the other guys who just think of it as like a body to put in there in case someone gets hurt. Yeah, I think that the equivalent to that would be spending on undrafted free agents. So once you go undrafted, anybody can sign you for whatever money they want. And the Vikings have not had a hit on this, but I think it's a smart thing to do is for the price of your, uh, I don't know, the guy who works in your front office per year, a couple hundred thousand bucks, you could take a couple of swings at UDFAs that are probably realistically just as good of a chance of hitting as a fourth or fifth round draft pick. I mean, because mm -hmm. once you get past the fourth round, nobody really knows about any of those guys. So you might as well take some shots there. The other equivalent of what you're talking about would be to sign a free agent at the very end of the off season, who's a veteran who's just sort of been hanging around or didn't want to go to off season camps or had an injury that nobody believes in. This would be the Yankees signing Eric Chavez back in the day. Like he was always injured or whatever, but they were like, look, if he could play like 80 games or something, this will give us some value. There's definitely that in football where you get that guy for 2 million bucks at the end of the year. He's a backup corner, but your starting corner probably gets hurt. He comes in, he's actually good. And you don't mm -hmm. have to make him like a big player. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about, since you have spent so much time covering this and, and its development, when the front offices became all people like who works for the Vikings now, I mean, Paul D. Podesta is in Cleveland and now Quasi Adafo Mensa comes from a Princeton background, Stanford worked on wall street. Like when was it, or was it just this slow process that all the baseball prospectus people got hired and all the nerds from Princeton got hired? I mean, it, it just seems like every front office looks like this in baseball now. Yeah. Um, there there's, there's been some changes uh, recently, but I, it's not all like positive. I mean, it's like the, 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 it's really Ivy league right now in baseball. It's, it's totally Ivy league and, and it's homogenous in background you know, and homogenous in a lot of other ways too, race and sex and like, um, and uh, there is some research out there that says that, you know, corporations that are led by more diverse leadership teams do better, you know? Um, and so I've seen just a little sprinkling of that from some of the more advanced teams of like looking and getting people from different backgrounds, uh, getting people to that might have a different perspective to bring them onto the leadership team to kind of give them a, a different idea of what's going forward. But I can't say that that's necessarily an, a, like a thing that football should follow baseball in all the way, which is I don't think that, uh, you know, it's necessarily 
great to just be like, oh, analytics is great. So let's everybody is going to have a business degree and come from a, a, an Ivy League school. And that's how we're going to do it. And I, there's some copycatting. Some good teams did it and had some success. And now everyone's doing it. But I don't necessarily think it's the healthiest thing. So I don't wish that upon football if that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Folks want to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The new year is a great time to focus on what's important to you, whether it's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning to cook, or just prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. HelloFresh offers the flexibility that you need to easily customize your order. You can do that online or with their app. You can easily change your delivery day, your food preferences, your plant size, or you can skip a week whenever you need to. I've had a chance to try HelloFresh and trust me, it is as easy as it sounds. And they sent me their Cheddar Wonder Burgers, which look, if you're a football guy, the thing you're ordering is burgers, right? And uh, it was delicious and great. And I didn't have to drive to a fast food restaurant. So HelloFresh uh, has been great for me and you should check it out. Just go to hellofresh.com slash insider16 and use the code insider16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's hellofresh.com slash insider16 for up to 16 meals free and three free gifts again hellofresh.com now well it hasn't and i think that's an interesting perspective because that i did want to ask you about that i mean when when you feel like you might be the first team to be bringing in people with those kind of backgrounds your you know mbas and so forth uh, maybe you're seeing it as getting an edge but then when everybody else has it, it's sort of like this is all this is what we're talking about with making these adjustments if if you're the team that runs the football better than anybody else or shoots mid-range jumpers better than anybody else, you know, you, you might have some success with that. Um, so I think that being different is just naturally um, something that can help you. But I totally agree that if you have a bunch of people who all think the same way and who all want to put the same processes in place, then they're all sort of fighting over the same types of things. Right. And they're all yeah. doing the same types of things. And where, where is the edge? And, and I, and I think that's really good perspective because I, I think that as the Vikings dive into this, and I think that um, diversity in their hiring has become very important to their ownership because they realize things like that as business people. Um, but I, I also think that they have to keep in mind that you can't just analytics it to death. Mm -hmm. You can't just like everything in the press conference from Quasi Adolfo Mensa, who comes across as Princeton smart. I mean, the guy is mm -hmm. very impressive, but everything is like corporate sounding. Everything mm -hmm. is, well, we're going to have this process in place. We're going to create this utopian front office where everybody has a say and we put it all in our sports cauldron and mix it up and get all the right decisions. And you're like, Okay, all right, but like football though, right? I yeah. mean, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> one one lesson to learn from baseball is that we had this explosion of data and tech. We had all these coaches that went out there and the first wave of coaches 
um, was eager to kind of confront the old way of doing things. And they came in with all the data and tech and all the isms and the, 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 you know, the buzzwords and, um, and eager to tell everybody how much they knew and how much the old way was wrong. Right. And, uh, so many of them came in and there was conflict. And so we're actually in the sort of second wave now where, um, people are realizing that culture matters. Um, and not just culture, like culture of analytics, but like culture as in, are we kind to each other? Uh, do we value each other's opinion? Do we value different opinions? Do we value different backgrounds? Um, and also a culture of making actual links to the players who are trying to coach, like actually um, listening to the players and like having them as a source of data and input and 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 having good relationships that, that for for coaches that we're realizing it's not just what you know, it's like how you can get it across and how you connect with people. Um, and so there is that danger if, if, if football is kind of like entering this kind of analytics everywhere phase that some of the first wave guys may be ones that use all the buzzwords and um, are eager to kind of smash everything with their analytics hammer um, and uh, and then lose sight of the fact that well-run uh, organizations, corporations, uh, even mom and pop, even well-run bakeries uh, are, are built on the fact that the, the people like to, to work with each other. Uh, they feel like uh, they have some autonomy. They have some say in what's going on um, and that, uh, that they're connecting with other people. They like to go to work. You know, like, uh, that's, that's something that's important, I think, across America right now. And so it's just something just to keep in mind uh, as you're trying to change systems is like, maybe there's someone here that has a lot of accumulated football knowledge. That's not necessarily analytics and everyone loves him. And maybe I don't need to fire him. Like maybe there's another role that he's better in or something, but like everyone loves to work with him. So like, you know, maybe we should just listen to him and find a way to make the analytics work with this old school knowledge as well. Mm, Don't make the, the the mistake that Robert De Niro made in casino by (laughs) firing the wrong guy. And that's spun that's everything right. out of control. Also, don't get with the wrong girl because that could be a problem as well. <laughs> um, but uh, no, this is a really good point because this was a huge issue that we just went through with the previous management is that they did not give AF what the players had to say about anything. Mm. And what that resulted in was a lot of disgruntled players, including one that was so disgruntled, they traded him away and he's done nothing but win a bunch of football games with another team. And like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's but that's the thing, right? It is and and uh, you know I think that people look at certain types of football players and talk about how they're divas and everything else if they have anything to say about their situation. But this goes for all people who work everywhere, no matter where you work. You want to feel valued and heard about mm-hmm. your perspective, especially if you're on the ground level. And I think this is something they understand, but it's always something that everyone's going to say. No one would ever go to a podium and say. Yeah, players, you keep your mouth shut. You shut up. And, <laughs> you you block. You shut your face. <laughs> right? um, but I, I want you to speak to, because I have found with football players are just, I mean, they're incredibly knowledgeable and, and many are very, very smart. And since you've had similar interactions of, um, you know, trying to kind of get to the bottom of certain things with very bright players. I, I want you to speak to that with baseball of how players have come to really understand all of these things with uh, the the information that's available to them. They have Google just like you do. And I think mm-hmm. it's fascinating how many baseball players and how many football players 
really understand things a lot of the time at the same level as the people making the calls. Yeah, and and also sometimes better and 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 just have a different perspective. I mean, you think like the joke about uh, bloggers, and I was one. That's, that's how I came to to be a writer and and change careers. Was I, I started out as a as a basement style blogger, you know. And the joke is, you know, mother's basement, out of touch, and especially in baseball, if you're an analytics guy, uh, you know, thinks of the players as random number generators, um, and uh, and thinks that they know better than all the coaches and all the players, right? So, you know, getting into the clubhouse is a real uh, eye opening experience for me. Just getting there and speaking to to players just really i was amazed at um how smart they are about their craft and maybe you know the lexicon is different maybe the words are are slightly different um but uh, we can do better as analysts and as sort of stat creators to uh, to line our findings up with them and make it accessible to them i, I love the fact that now there's a set called barrels i got yelled at once uh, for talking too analytically to a player. And he said, no, it's all about barrels. It's all we care about. Well, hey, like, you know, years later, we created a stat to kind of capture that. And uh, now we have a stat called barrels. And now we can kind of, uh, you know, speak a more common language. Statcast uh, is this thing in baseball that has that directly measures stuff. And so now uh, players are they're competitive and um, they can understand like, oh, I threw this ball 98 miles an hour or I hit this ball 98 miles an hour. Uh, these are sort of directly tracked. Oh, my sprint speed is this. They can understand that. Um, and so it has led to a bridging of the gap in a way of uh, not necessarily, you know, DVOA or wins above replacement, you know, uh, you know, these big numbers that are black box and, you know, have all this uh, uh, judgment you know, in them and, and are kind of hard to understand. Um, you know, now we have these directly measured numbers, you know, like, uh, I guess it'd be equivalent as like, Oh, I can, you know, I can flat, I can box jump this or, you know, like, you know, football players can speak that language. Um, but, uh, but then generally, uh, just finding a way to, you know, one thing I do is I create numbers as a, as a third character in the conversation and uh, allow for the numbers to be wrong. And one of the reasons I think this is because uh, baseball has such a rich analytical history that we've found things and then found the opposite. And, you know, like we found that we were wrong. (laughs) So like, is is this BABIP? BABIP used to drive me crazy. Oh, yeah. Like for hitters. So hitters, uh, if they put the ball in play, the league uh, gets has a 290 batting average, you know, basically yeah, year after year. And so we used to think that if a hitter uh, had like a, f- a 350 batting average on balls in play, that he was just lucky. And so for there was a whole early round of analysis that there would just be like Mike Trout, lucky, you know. <laughs> and now we can say, well, actually, if you can run fast, if you can hit the ball hard, if you don't pull everything, you kind of spray the ball, you're hard to defend, you can actually run a a person like a player can run a BABIP of 330, 340, 350, even if the league is 290, you know? Um, Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that's a great point. Well, first of all, BABIP used to drive me nuts because I did (laughs) minor league play-by-play and I would watch the dudes who hit the ball harder and barreled up the ball and talk with the scouts. And that's the thing they would look for, who barrels Mm -hmm. up the ball the most. And when they would hit it harder, this is crazy to think about. When they would hit it harder – the other team didn't field it as much. And it was right. just like, guys, there are players. You know, I mean, there would be players who were 23rd round draft picks who barreled up the ball all the time. You'd be like, that guy's going somewhere. 
And there were first round draft picks who never did. And you'd be like, that's not going to happen. It, it, they would just, you know, it, my whole thing was, well, then why do pitchers always have such low babbits? Cause they can't mm-hmm. hit the ball hard. Right. So anyway, uh, that one always used to drive me nuts, but that's a great point though, that I was going to make about football as we are figuring a lot of things out. There might be something that is wrong. And, mm-hmm. and I think that what you have to be as Quasi Adolfo Mensa taking over as the general manager of this team is you have to be like a kind of a, a shapeshifter as you find new information because we are just really starting. It's like, yes, there are charts that tell you when to go for it on fourth down, but I think the teams are still missing other things about going for it on fourth down. If you're on your own 10 yard line and you miss on a fourth down, the other team scores, that sounds like a tragedy, but you get the ball back super quick. And like, there's something to that, that Madden players have found success with. Like, it's okay to give up the ball to the other team in the red zone. Cause a, a lot of times seven out of 10 or three out of 10, you stop them in the red zone, they kick a field goal. So that's mm-hmm. great. Uh, uh, maybe one or two times they go for it on their fourth down. You stop them. So it's only like 50. And, some, and sometimes time is the most precious thing. Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. And there's a clock. So yeah. then like they score, but you get the ball back. If your offense is that kind of thing. So I feel like um, that's a great thing to bring up is that if you're going to be this person, you still always need to be staying ahead of that and be willing to change and not say these are these are the things that I research that work and I'm just going to do them because somebody else will find the other stuff. Yeah, so you know the, the Baltimore Orioles just you know made a bunch of player development hires and they they you know they they they're trying to rebuild and there's like three or three or four and it and it hasn't been working um, and they'd already tried to like made a bunch of player development hires and the first round didn't work and then they recently announced a bunch of new player development and they said these this group we really prioritize humility and growth mindset. So growth mindset is, uh, this is what we know. This is the best of what we know now, but we might know more later. We, you know, that's why I create that extra person in the room. Stats can be, it's not infallible. It's a, it's, it's a guide for us, but you know, we, we listen to it, but it might be wrong. And if you have something else to say, say it so that we can have a conversation with the stats, you know, uh, that's the growth mindset and then, and the humility to think that like, yeah, I think I know everything there. I think I know as much as there is to know right now, but hey, you might you might say something like there there are baseball players who say something and I'm just like what, you know like that that just just breaks my brain. I have to rethink a lot of things uh, now that you said that. So uh, yeah, the growth mindset and humility uh, are not and those are not necessarily things you associate with like nerd stat nerds, right? <laughs> so that's that's the when you get those things with a stat nerd, that's a really powerful. So if that's if that's the executive you got, then then that'll be super powerful. If you get the sort of round one executive that's just all like it's all about the numbers and y'all don't know anything, then that'll that'll be a rough hoe, too. Right. Which, of course, again, you know, Kwesi it's hard to tell from the beginning. Right. Yeah. The, the, the opening press conference. Nobody's yeah. going to say <laughs> that uh, you know, <laughs> we would prefer that, you know, players don't have growth mindsets like no one's going <laughs> to. You know, it all sounds good. Uh, but I think that that's really fascinating. And that's what we talk about, where um, Adolfo Mensa did not want to say that he's an analytics guy, because I think that he's right in doing this because it's just so much more broad. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like really um, taking a flashlight and looking around as opposed to just using the light from outside. 
like mm-hmm. trying to find every edge and every corner of where you could possibly get ahead. Because I think of, I bring this up sometimes on the show, but I think of football as like chess and all sports are like this, where when two grandmasters play each other, it's one tiny little pre- precision mm-hmm. move that's missed. It's the slightest inaccuracy. They don't blunder. And that's with teams that have all these, all this money and all these executives and all these smart people. It's not like they just completely miss all the time. It's really the small edges that end up making the difference. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then there's, of course, uh, chaos, which uh, leads <laughs> us well, it leads us to bad decisions because we thought, like, you know, we thought maybe we think our process was wrong because the outcome was wrong, but maybe the process was right and the outcome just was chaos. I mean, there's there's uh, outstanding achievements by players that sort of uh, boggle the mind and 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 break the schemes, right? Uh, and then there's injury, which uh, can just come at the wrong moment and just make everything look a lot worse than it was supposed to. So, you know, those are the two big things of chaos for me, or just the way. In, in baseball, I think it's it's more obvious how much chaos uh, is involved because uh, pitchers get injured a lot, and so that's just a huge part of it. Um, and then also the ball is literally bouncing, but I think, uh, I think, you know, in football, I've heard people talk about, um, uh, takeaways and fumbles and stuff and how like it's, uh, it's possible to have a defense that forces fumbles. Uh, but it's not, uh, year to year. There's no, it's, there's no correlation to like how many of them you actually get back. Yes. The ball is literally an oblong thing. Stupid that, shaped. Yeah. Who yeah, did this? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Bouncing around. Sometimes if you force a bunch of uh, fumbles, that's great. And you should keep doing that. Uh, and if you didn't get them a bunch one year, it doesn't mean that you were doing the wrong thing. It just meant that that thing bounced the wrong way. Folks, support for Purple Insider is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, and they recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle Performance Package. Four million men have trusted Manscaped, and you can check out their exclusive offer for 20% off and free shipping with the code 20insider at manscaped.com. Manscaped sent me the performance package and I could say that it's a game changer, especially when it comes to their nose and eyebrow hair trimmer called the Weed Whacker. I'm a unibrow guy, so I need to keep that in check for all the YouTube videos and streams that we do. You've probably also heard of the lawnmower as well, and they've come out with a 4.0 version, which is waterproof. It has an LED light and advanced skin safe technology, so you don't have to worry about any nicks or cuts. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20insider. That's 20insider at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. The code 20insider. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Folks, we've got an even better offer to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, one word, you can get 15% off your purchase. That's right, at SodaStick.com, your place for Minnesota sports-inspired apparel. You can get 15% off just by using the code PURPLEINSIDER. I've told you about all the great football designs, but they've added a few more, including the Axe is Back for Minnesota football fans. You can get that on a shirt, on a hat, and also Randy Moss is the GOAT, the Purple People Eaters, Bud Grant designs for the old school fan, plus the hockey and basketball teams are both actually exciting this year, and Soda Stick has you covered there as well. Go to sodastick.com, that is S-O-T-A, 
S-T-I-C-K.com and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. Right. Every other sport went round and football was like, <laughs> what if? <laughs> what if we had a hand egg? <laughs> uh, but that uh, that was uh, one of the last things that was sort of on my list to ask you was about the process versus results idea, because there's a part of me and look, you and I have something in common. We both played rec league basketball. Okay. So we are competitors and I know you're a psychopath out there. And so here, here's the thing. When Kwesi Adolfo Mensa comes up to the podium and he says, look, I, if we lose, but we had the right process, I'm okay with it. I'm like, no, you're not. No way you are right. That's not possible because your fans won't be, and your owners won't be like, the only thing that matters is that you win. And your point about chaos is exactly right. And, but I heard something that was really interesting. I'd love your take on this. Stan Van Gundy once was talking about a play that he called at the end of a playoff game that he thought was a great play and had every reason to do it. And it didn't work. And Van, Gu- and Van Gundy, the interviewer was like, well, you, you nailed it though. Right. I mean, you called the right play. And he was like, no, I didn't. It failed. It's not right to fail. Like, if then, well, but what else would you have done? I don't know, but not that because it failed. And so I guess I wonder how you sort of deal with that because I think what the Vikings are talking about is right process in a lot of different ways of things that they're doing in the front office and being progressive, cutting edge, whatever, collaborative, all these right words. Um, but if it doesn't work, you're all fired. And I, I guess I always go, Eh, I don't know if I want to hear the guy tell me the results don't matter. He can live with them because nobody can live with losing. Yeah. You know what I actually hear when I hear something like that? Um, give, give me time. Yes. Great point. Give me time. Uh, I think he's saying uh, part of the quote unquote process might be losing on purpose. You know, that's, I mean, maybe it's my baseball background. We have a bunch of tankers. I don't know how much tanking helps in football, but I can't imagine that it wouldn't help to have a bunch of high draft picks for a couple of years. It does. Uh, And especially with the way that uh, drafting in football works, like those players all play. Like I think it would be actually probably better in football to tank than baseball, because in baseball, even the first rounders have a 50% chance of playing in the big leagues. (laughs) But in, in football, it's more like a 75, 90% chance you play in the big leagues in the first round. Right. So um, yeah, I would think, uh, I would think that when I hear that, I I hear maybe part of the process is losing. Um, And uh that just it just it's a it's a tough taste to have in the mouth as a fan, you know. We're just like, oh, okay, so can you tell me when to wake up and turn the Vikings back on again? <laughs> you know? But uh, but I think he's he's probably trying to bide his time because uh, if they go, you know, uh, four and twelve next year and have a bunch of high draft picks, he says, well, we change a lot of processes. You know, we we think that we think we're doing things the right way. We think it's going to go better next year, and maybe it will because they'll have a bunch of new players. And then it'll often depend on the pure luck of the draft, which is uh, everybody can process the hell out of that. But you basically, if you draft in the first round, it all depends on your draft slot, like you said. And that's why tanking makes sense in every sport. What I, what I would say is I'm always amazed that um, somebody like you, you have no idea what's going on with the Vikings, aside from my random tweet that probably pops up every once in a while in, in your feed. And yet you're nailing it with everything about that. Like, that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right is I'm going to need some time. I don't think they're going to tank, so to speak, because they've got probably too many good players to tank, but it means 
there's going to be some losing. And I think that one thing that is very cool is fans understanding of how all of this works. And they've seen it across sports for many years. And this is like the world we live in. I think fans are much more up for, all right, let's see all the young players play and see what we've got for a year. And then we'll set our expectations higher as opposed to, well, what do you mean we might not make the playoffs? Like, well, you were trying desperately to make the playoffs before. And as you know, in baseball, when you try desperately and sign all the free agents and everything else, usually kind of blows up in your face. So I think that fans are much more understanding of all of this from reading people like you that uh, there's time for it for mm-hmm. Adolfo Mensa. And I, the only thing that, and, and you can speak to this too, do the owners have time for it? That's the big question. I think the fans are okay with it because they get it, but ownership can always, you can have all this right and they can still completely screw you if they they want the wrong thing. Riddle me this. Uh, I think that ownership is mostly about money. Um, uh, Vikings game still sold out. Uh, Yeah. People are showing up. Yeah. They did boo at the end, but they were still there. Yeah. That's a little different. Unfortunate. Yeah, it's um, it, it's so different in football because it's one game a week or 16, 17 games now. Um, and uh, so they still sell out. So and then their TV money is in a better situation. It's in a better situation financially as a sport. Um, maybe maybe ownership in that sport does care about winning because everyone else is there, you know, because the baseline is, yeah, we're all making money. <laughs> right. Whereas in, in, in baseball, we do have, I, I wouldn't say that there's teams that aren't necessarily making money, but there are teams that are small market teams that mm-hmm. uh, are a little bit more in sketchier situations. And But always great. If you ever visit Pittsburgh, you'd sit right behind home plate and uh, <laughs> you will not have to pay a, whole a lovely lot. ballpark. Last thing. And the only reason I kept you so long is because baseball's in a lockout. I would not have done this to you. Otherwise, if you were busy, uh, you're probably busy, but um, <laughs> I just want to hear from you. You always have great interactions with players and I would love for you to just tell a story about one uh, when it comes to data and talking to players. I'll, I'll give you a quick one. What you think is one of the things just exciting for me was to go up to Anthony Barr and show him that the Vikings were the best team in the league at stopping opposing running backs from coming out of the backfield. And then just Uh. asking, and then just asking why Anthony Barr is a linebacker and then just asking why, okay, linebacker, this is kind of your job. And for him to be like, Oh, let me see. That's that. Who's number two. Where do we rank against tight ends? Those things and sort of be Mm -hmm. interested in the conversation because sometimes, as you know, it could be painful. Um, You know, what happened out there on Sunday, that kind of thing. Uh, but it was really interesting for just him to talk about, like, here's kind of why our scheme might do that. And personnel matters a lot because it's one on one matchups and, you know, the things like that, where you can learn more about the game just by saying to somebody, hey, what do you think of the stat? Mm-hmm. And I've learned, uh, you know, one of my uh, one of the processes that I use is uh, to have a, a, a stat that is uh, complementary of their skills and to, to lead with that. Uh, did you know you were top three in blah, blah, blah? Uh, is a is a great way to start because uh, flattery gets you everywhere. Um, <laughs> I, I think of a couple things. Uh, one, um, I, w- I was finishing an interview with Andrew Haney, um, who is now a Dodger, um, and he was on a team that had kind of been saying public things about how they weren't that into analytics, and they were led by Mike Sosha, who kind of been anti analytics to some extent, and they didn't didn't want that stuff in the. Uh, in the big league clubhouse, we finished an interview and Haney at the end sort of tugged my shirt and said, yeah, tell me about spin rate. 
you know, like, what is it? What does it mean? What, you know, and it was, it's, it's hugely important to him uh, in specific. Um, and so it was an interesting conversation. I, I remember uh, Darwin Barney was this kind of um, uh, utility slash backup uh, kind of player. And um, uh, he was saying that he didn't, he was saying to someone that he didn't have any trade value it was near the trade deadline. Uh, and I said, oh, that, that can't be true. Uh, you're the best defensive second baseman in in baseball by uh, by at least two metrics. And he's like, really? And I showed the metrics. He's like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, you know, interesting. I might have some trade value. Maybe I'll go somewhere. He goes across the the clubhouse, uh, and I guess he tells somebody else it. And the and the guy goes, to, you know, who? And then he points at me, and he goes, nerd, <laughs> from across the clubhouse, but in a in a smiling way. Uh, and then the last one I think of was. Um, you know, I'd done some reporting on how the ball had changed in baseball. Mm -hmm. we, we we made some jokes about this along the way on this on this podcast. Um, and the ball has changed and this and that. And um, I was uh, I also do grips where I asked baseball players players about their grips and, and and their mechanics. And so I was talking to Justin Verlander and I was like, do, would you mind showing me like your slider grip or whatever? Uh, and I and I tossed him a ball and he like he's like, this ball is weird. Uh, what's up with this ball? And I was like, well, it's not juiced. It's from uh, it's from like 1989 or something. And he goes, what did you say? And I said, well, I, that ball is not juiced. <laughs> and he goes, stay here for a second. And he goes running across the clubhouse. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is Justin Verlander about to do? And he goes, hey, come over here. And he had, he had assembled the entire starting lineup of the Tigers, <laughs> all the batters. And he goes, tell me what you just said to me. <laughs> and i was like you want me to tell the batters that they're not actually that good and the ball's just juiced is that what you're doing here come on justin and so i kind of like i went into the research about the ball and, and people were like well what, isn't it just this aren't we just training better or this or that and like i kind of was like well yes probably but also we can tell like the ball is traveling further upon contact even with the same old stat old stats it's going further and uh, Verlander made me kind of like present the case for the juice ball. <laughs> the, and I remember, I just remember Ian Kinsler kind of looking at me like, I don't like what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. That's always concerning. I had a, a, a thing with um, in hockey was my first beat. I was covering American hockey league and uh, I had written about this. The, the, they had been complaining about not winning enough face-offs. So I wrote this whole thing about how, like, look, face-offs, I mean, they're basically a coin flip. You're talking about a few a game, and if you defend them, they shouldn't make any real impact. Like, you, pro it's really how you react to the 50-50 that you get. And uh, we finished up uh, an interview with the coach, and he was like, so what is it you're saying about face-offs? And I was, like, 23 or something. I was like, uh, is it good? Like, do you like face-offs? You know, I'm just like, are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and uh, but it was really cool because, uh, later he brought me into his office with the coaching staff and we talked about analytics and I kind of helped them with some ideas of how to track their shots and locations and how to get into the neutral zone or through the neutral zone, like things like that, that I had just read from smarter people than me, but they hadn't because they were and that's the thing is like, it's, it's very cool that these people kind of are, are focused on these things that they have to do to throw the ball a certain way that they're not always reading us or knowing what some of the stuff in the outside. And so getting the reactions is almost like playing peekaboo or something, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're like, what? Wow. Running backs. I stopped them. 
Yes, you do. Yeah, but so. you know, uh, in baseball at least over time, uh, and I think this is because they uh, they're dealing with coaches now that are you know giving this information. They're they're seeing yeah. the information. They're becoming more. So like you know, when I go I go to the Arizona Fall League every year, and I'm, there's prospects there. You know, uh, they all speak my language now. Like you know, right. I went and interviewed a bunch of prospects, and we're talking about barrel rate, and we're talking about exit velocity, we're talking about all the tech they're using, weighted bats, weighted balls, all the sort of stuff. I you know they, you know they, I speak their language, so you know I I figured that it'll just be easier to interview them as as time goes on, and less of a you know early on I did a step into some poo uh, <laughs> with uh, Eric Hosmer who. Uh, was very angry uh, that I was using words like rates and ratios, uh, and started heckling me in the in the clubhouse while I interviewed uh, Billy Butler. That was mm. that was difficult, but uh, the clubhouse is a little bit different place now. Now everyone uh, everyone's got every part of their being tracked and and uh, you know all the data, and they they you know they have coaches telling them all about it. So. Baseball you know, players I'm, I'm can no be the longer most is ruthless. weird. <laughs> they, they can be the most ruthless when it comes to that uh, with reporters. I think that's no, but that's awesome. I'm glad that I asked um, because <laughs> those those kind of things are really interesting. And it's a great point that every basketball player knows the mid range thing at this point. Like if you mm. talk to them about their shot charts, like they're going to know it. Um, yeah. which is just such a fascinating development, and it ties in to just the last point. Um, is just that um, you have to communicate with the players because they know. They know this stuff. They know what's going on and they understand the schemes and they can watch the tape from anybody and they can look at the data that's right there on pro football Focus's website and PFF mm -hmm. tags them in their tweets and stuff yeah, like that. Right. So, <laughs> right. So they know um, it is a, it is a fascinating world that we live in. And I personally understand it better from reading you along the way from the time you were a basement blogger to all the times we had on the radio to now, as I'm doing this thing, um, I'm still reading pretty much just you when it comes to baseball. So I appreciate all your great work. It is at Eno Saris, E N O S A R R I S. You can read him at the athletic. Um, great to catch up, man. I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It'll, it'll help inform uh, some of my watching this weekend. Go Niners. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nobody on this cast wants to hear that nonsense. <laughs> I mean, at this at this point, the Vikings, I think, lost to three out of four of these teams. So what difference yeah. does it make? <laughs> they got to pick new favorites for the playoffs anyway. Right. The Chiefs are the only one they can root for, I guess. So um, thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks for having me.